Here's an excerpt from an obituary. Martin Ray Burnham, 42, a new tribe's mission missionary pilot was killed June 7th, 2002 in the Philippines during a military action between Abu Sayyaf and Philippine forces. He had been kidnapped along with his wife, Gracia, May 27, 2001, by the Abu Sayyaf group. Question. Would you consider Martin Burnham, a 42-year-old martyr, to be a victim of circumstances, bad circumstances, if you will, or rather a victor for Jesus Christ? Uh, let us now look to the 144,000 for the answer. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 14. We have now studied the unholy trinity, beginning with Satan in Revelation chapter 12, who was expelled from heaven for the last three and a half years of the tribulation. He'll be down on the earth persecuting saints and Jews alike. Then we transition to his key player for the tribulation, the Antichrist, the sea creature from Revelation 13. And uh, he suffers a wound, comes back to life, and is now going to be worshipped worldwide. And we went from the sea creature to the land creature, the false prophet, there in the second half of Revelation chapter 13. He is the one who imitates the Holy Spirit, pointing people to the Antichrist who imitates Christ. And the false prophet then has the people, the inhabitants of the earth, to, to create an idol made in the image of the beast. The idol comes to life and tells everyone, points everybody to kill the saints. So as we pick it up now, in Revelation chapter 14, uh, we will see 144,000 evangelists, back from Revelation chapter 7, standing with the Lamb on Mount Zion at the beginning of the millennial kingdom. We'll get the details as we go. So let me go ahead and read to you Revelation chapter 14, 1 through 5. Then I looked... And behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who are not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit. For they are without fault before the throne of God. Would you bow your heads and your hearts as I lead us in prayer? Father, we bow before you recognizing that we are standing on holy ground. 
looking into the eternal word of God. And I pray that your spirit would guide us to give us understanding today in this vital passage in the book of Revelation. Turn on the light for us. Help us to have illumination that we can understand and then apply those things we learn. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Last uh, study we had back in chapter 13, verse 11, we were given the words, then I saw, from the Greek, kai adon. We now have those same words here in chapter 14, verse 1, then I looked. It introduces a new vision as it did back in chapter 13, verse 11. We will see these words repeatedly as we move toward the culmination of the book of Revelation. But I want you to observe here, not only do you have the words, then I looked, but and behold, kai idu. The command here is showing us that this is an especially dramatic vision. We have those same two words added to chapter 14, down in verse 14. Then I looked and behold a white cloud. But you notice the words, then I looked, kai edan, and behold, now we have again, kai edu. The idea here is this is a potent vision that is given, one that we should pay much attention to. And we are directed to a lamb standing on Mount Zion. The lamb here, none other than Jesus Christ. And notice he is described as standing because he is victorious. We have the same posture back in chapter 5. Would you go there with me? Revelation chapter 5. Again, in the throne room of God. And there we had God the Father sitting on the throne in chapter 4. And Jesus Christ is the one who's going to come and take the book with the judgments out of the hand of God. So in Revelation chapter 5, beginning in verse 5, But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed. Notice those words, to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne, and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, give me the next word, you got it, stood a lamb as though it had been slain. The posture is that of victory, because although Jesus Christ had been slain, he not only laid his life down, but he brought it back to life. Jesus is standing here with the 144,000 in Revelation chapter 14. This is the beginning of the millennial kingdom. Let me set the stage. We studied from Daniel 9, 24 through 27, when the Antichrist makes a covenant with the nation of Israel for seven years. That is the tribulation that we have been studying from chapter 6 through 19. To end the tribulation, Jesus Christ will come back from heaven with us, the church, and he will put down his enemies at Armageddon, and then he will establish his kingdom. Uh, we are told from Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4, a key verse, that the Lord Jesus will literally touch down on the Mount of Olives. And that shouldn't surprise us. 
Isn't that how he left with the ascension back in chapter 1 of the book of Acts? So now we see him with the 144,000, which means this vision is proleptic. It means to take before. In other words, it's showing us the entirety of the tribulation, that these 144,000 will be eventually martyred, but then will stand with Jesus Christ at the beginning of the millennial kingdom there on Mount Zion. Now, as Thomas writes, Zion appears 162 times in the Bible and refers practically every time to a locality related to the city of Jerusalem of the old creation. In other words, it's talking about a city, Jerusalem, on earth. And I believe John Walvoord nailed it when he writes, preferable, is the view that this is a prophetic vision of the ultimate triumph of the Lamb following the second coming, when he joins the 144,000 on Mount Zion at the beginning of his millennial rule. Continuing in verse 1, and with him 144,000. I want you again to see what is it that has them killed. Back to chapter 13, pick it up in verse 15. This is speaking of the false prophet. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast. That's the abomination of desolation. That the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. That's what happens to the 144,000. They are martyred for identifying with Jesus Christ. We note about these 144,000 at the end of verse 1, having his father's name written on their foreheads. Now, when you look at the totality of the extant or existing Greek manuscripts, it actually has having his name and the name of the father written upon their foreheads. So the names of the father and the son on the 144,000 shows a stark contrast to the followers of Antichrist. Why? Because they have an identification as well, do they not? Look at 1317. And that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark, and we, from our study last time, you could put a comma there. Then appositionally, the name of the beast, or one in the same, if you will, or the number of his name. The point being, the 144,000 were sealed. They had God's mark of ownership upon them, as we saw in Revelation chapter 7. Same way, children of God today, 2 Timothy 2, 19, have the seal of God upon us, and the Lord knows those that are his. There is quite a contrast, because the 144,000 are marked by God, showing that they belong to him, whereas all these individuals have a mark showing that they belong to the wicked one to Satan. It's a very sobering text. And as we transition now to verse 2 of chapter 14, and I heard a voice from heaven 
The choir in heaven is not the 144,000. Why? Because they are on the earth. That's what we saw in verse 1. And are described as the learners, verse 3, of this song. A description of the choir like the voice of many waters. Does that sound familiar to you? Uh, Let your minds go way back to the book of Revelation chapter 1. In verse 15 of that chapter, that is how Jesus Christ is described as well. And we see similarly, springing forward now to chapter 19. And would you go there? Chapter 19 and verse 6. After the destruction of Babylon, chapter 17 and 18, there is a praise team that breaks forth. Notice 19.6, and I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude as the sound of, listen carefully, many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent or all-powerful reigns. So you have to keep in mind that the vision in chapter 14 is proleptic, showing the 144,000 with Christ. So there's a celebration that is going on similarly to chapter 19 because there's an anticipation. Now that Babylon, that uh, world power of old has been put down, the kingdom is about to commence. So we have some parallels there. Uh, Thinking about the voice of many waters, listen to Psalm 93, verse 4. The Lord on high is mightier, than the noise of many waters, than the mighty waves of the sea. This shows his power. And then our text continues, and like the voice of loud thunder, is powerfully majestic, awe-inspiring, if you will. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. Oh, such imagery there, abused perhaps in cartoons and by people spoofing and making fun of the things of the Lord. But back in chapter 5 and verse 8, the 24 elders representing the church are playing harps. Why? They're celebrating before the Lord their victory in Christ. And then also in chapter 15 and verse 2, which we'll see, Lord willing, soon, We have those who have victory over the beast playing harps, uh, symbolic of victory. And that theme of victory continues now in verse 3. And they sang, as it were, a new song. Uh, By the way, the voice uh, that was singular back in verse 2, you know, a, a one voice, if you will, is now identified as a choir singing a new song. The new song is that of victory. That is a common scriptural theme. The new song is given because of victory. Uh, I want to show you some references to this. First of all, uh, Psalm 40. Would you turn there? Psalm 40. This is a psalm of David. And now, let's begin Psalm 40, and we'll look at verses 1 through 3, keeping in mind New song, victory. David writes, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay. See, he was sinking, 
and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. See, there's a deliverance. He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many shall see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. You see the idea with the new song? And now in Psalm 96 as well. Go forward to Psalm 96, verses 1 and 2. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all there. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim the good news of his salvation. The idea there is deliverance from day to day. He gives the victory. Uh, one last reference on this topic. Chapter 98, still in the book of Psalms. 98, 1 and 2. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained him the victory. The Lord has made known his salvation, his righteousness. He has revealed in the sight of the nations. How exciting. Back with me please to Revelation 14. The choir is now singing before the four living creatures and the elders. This is verse 3. Uh, interestingly, the four living creatures and elders earlier were participants of the worship. We saw that in chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, and chapter 7, 11 and 12. But now they are the audience. The ones who were doing the act of worship are now taking it all in. And we learn as well, and no one could learn that song except 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. Consider this. The 144,000 who followed the Lord carefully and were willing to die for him now experience a very deep and personal intimacy with him. Is that not promised to those who know God? Uh, go back with me please to Revelation chapter 2 way back revelation chapter 2 let's let's think about this and the promises even offered to the church of jesus christ you have to remember what goes to one church applies to all he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to whom to the churches plural so in chapter 2 here in the book of revelation verse 17 2 17 he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, that's the born-again believer, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And you say, what is that exactly? Well, in Exodus 16, God rained bread down from heaven to the earth, showing his daily provision for the Israelites. This is a hidden manna, something that is for children of God that will be revealed at a future time. But again, speaking of intimacy, something between you and your God. And I will give him a white stone, and on a stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. The Lord, we even have a pet name for you, if you will, showing how close he is to the children of God. So, think about it. 144,000 serve God and then are martyred and now they're enjoying this sweet intimacy with their God. As you come back to chapter 14, verse 4, observe the word these. 
these. It's used three times. Each time in verse 4 it is used, it's in the emphatic position. So there's a strong statement. Also, and this is critical, each time, these is masculine. That is, men, men make up the 144,000 Jewish evangelists who are now before the Lord. So in verse 4, our first of three these. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. Now, the term virgins can be used in the New Testament figuratively, as it is done in 2 Corinthians 11, 2 of the church. Uh, Paul says that they, uh, the church of Corinth was espoused to Christ as chaste virgins. And I do want to point out, because the Corinthians had come out of a horrific background, the temple of Aphrodite, I'm sure many of them were not virgins, literally. But here, because they're in Christ and what Paul is doing with them, that is how they are depicted. But I present to you here, there's no figurative use. These men were pure and did not know any woman intimately. Now their intimacy will be with the Lord. Notice the second these. These are the ones who follow the lamb wherever he goes. They practiced what Jesus expects from every disciple of his. Uh, Matthew chapter 16. Let's go to the first gospel together. Matthew chapter 16. Thinking about being followers of the lamb. Matthew chapter 16. Picking it up, verse 24. Matthew 16, Jesus has just uh, talked about the church for the first time. The nation of Israel turned their backs on the Messiah. Uh, he came to his own, his own received him not. So now he is informing his disciples about the church. Now here in verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me to be an Official apprentice is the idea. Let him deny himself and let him take up his cross and notice here the last command, follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it if a man gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul. Jesus calls us, if you will, to followership. In Matthew 4:19, he said to his disciples, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And these 144,000, let me tell you, they were fishers of men. There's no doubt about that. Now for the third, these, back in Revelation 14:4. These were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb. Redeemed. I love that word. Agorazo. From agorazo means to be purchased out of the marketplace. It was the blood of the Lamb that bought us and redeemed us. These are also called first fruits. That uh, term occurs eight times from the Greek New Testament. Here it's the concept of there are more to come. They were first fruits of God. Now let's go back and think about this. We're given two visions in Revelation chapter 7. 
the first of 144,000 Jewish men supernaturally coming to Christ. Then the second vision, beginning in verse 9 of chapter 7, going through verse 17, shows this innumerable multitude. So the first group identified 144,000 Jews, 12,000 Jewish men from each tribe. But then from them, see, they're evangelists. They had led a plethora of people to Christ. When we follow Christ and lead someone to Christ or bear fruit in our lives, there's more to come. And that's exactly what this term here means. Then finally to close out our account, down in verse 5, and in their mouth was found no guile. Uh, some of the Greek manuscripts have the word dalos, guile, and uh, that word means deception. And then the majority of Greek manuscripts has a lie or a falsehood. And again, what a contrast. Back in chapter 13, we have the liars, <laughs> do we not? Even going back to chapter 12 with Satan, he's a liar. And then in chapter 13, who's the Antichrist? He's a liar. And then you go and look at the false prophet. Who, he's a liar. But these ones do not speak deception or falsehood. And then it says, here's the reason for they are without fault. Without fault carries the idea of without blemish. You recall in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4, according to as he, that's God, has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy, and listen carefully, and without blame, that's our term, without blame before him in love. Well, these individuals follow the lamb. They imitate the lamb because wasn't that Jesus Christ too? In Hebrews 9.14, it speaks that Jesus offered himself without blemish to God. And then speaking of redemption, in 1 Peter 1.19, he is described as the lamb without blemish and without spot. Let's take a look at our main thought for today. Main point, employment point. Follow Jesus for present fruitfulness and future intimacy. Isn't that exactly what happened with the 144,000? They followed Jesus and they knew great fruitfulness. And then when they stood before him there in the millennial kingdom, they knew intimacy. So follow Jesus for present fruitfulness and future intimacy. Let's go back to our original question. Would you consider Martin Burnham, a 42-year-old martyr, to be a victim of bad circumstances or rather a victor for Jesus Christ? See, Martin, as someone who followed the Lamb, and like the 144,000 experienced martyrdom, will now be able to grasp, if you will, the meaning of a new song. Uh, he personally will know intimacy with the Lord because that's who the Lord is. And he loves those who follow him and are willing to lay down their lives 
for him. Let's think about this and uh, by way of application to close it out. Matthew chapter 19. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus saying, great question, basically, what can I do in order to be saved? Well, he went to the right person, seemingly asked the right question, although he wants to know what he can do, so he's thinking works-based, of course, and Jesus takes him down a trail, confronting him with his own sin by asking if he's kept the commandments, and the rich young ruler says, yeah, all of them. So Jesus starts to get specific and then he reveals that this man had broken both first and tenth covenants, uh, commandments, excuse me, from the ten commandments because he was covetous and he had other gods before the true God because Jesus simply said, testing him, sell all that you have, give it to the poor and come follow me. And he went away sorrowful why he had great riches. See, that was his God. That was his God. So having now set the stage, the apostles are observing what's going on. Verse 27, Matthew 19. Then Peter answered and said to him, See, we, and this is emphatic here where it says, We have left. We, we apostles have left all. And he did. And followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? So Jesus starts rebuking them for asking, No. Jesus never rebuked the disciples even when they asked questions about greatness in heaven. Jesus corrected them though because they were going about it the wrong way. Verse 28. So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, that in the regeneration, that's speaking about that future kingdom, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, and that he will sit on the throne of his glory, a literal throne right there in Jerusalem as predicted in the Old Testament. You who have followed me, that's what's key here, will also sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. A wonderful promise given specifically to the 12. And you go, well, what happened there with Judas? Well, remember what happens in the church after Judas hanged himself, showing that he really wasn't a child of God? They cast lots and picked Matthias. Why? Because they needed to have the 12th apostle. So one day could, this could be fulfilled in a literal way in a future kingdom. That's what we have going on here. Many, many, have given up their lives for the cause of Christ. Many more will be called to do so. One such martyr of old, 1956, there in Ecuador, was Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott, in his journal, wrote, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. What a great statement. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep, see his life, to gain that which he cannot lose, his eternal salvation and reward. So where does that leave us with the employment point? Follow Jesus for present fruitfulness. <laughs> You've got to follow him and stay close to him. Be close on his heels. And when you abide in him and he abides in you, you will bear much fruit. The fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, will 
Lavish your life with those nine individual fruit mentioned in Galatians 5, 22 to 23. We will also be offering the fruit of thankfulness as Hebrews 13, 15. The fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. And even from John chapter 4, speaking of soul winning, we will bear fruitfulness because God will reproduce us in others by allowing us to lead them to Christ, to come to understand that Jesus died for their sin, was raised from the dead. And when we lead someone to Christ, then we disciple them and they go and do likewise. So we follow Jesus for present fruitfulness so we can accomplish his will in this life. And in what is to follow? Future intimacy. That is exactly what the 144,000 will experience. The same is promised to us from Revelation 2, as we saw there in verse 17. Other passages speaking about us ruling and reigning with Christ during the millennial kingdom. There will be just one great experience of intimacy. Let's follow Jesus now. Join me in prayer. Thank you, Heavenly Father. We fall at your feet, recognizing that your Son followed the Father. He always did and said those things that pleased Him, modeling for us how we should live. Help us to do likewise. Lord, I pray that we would follow closely with Jesus Christ. We would stay close to Him, pursue Him daily through our devotions and prayer time by being in church and Bible study that we would know, Father, what it is like to bear fruit in this life as we are following you and you make us fishers of men like you had with those 144,000. And then, Lord, we look forward not only to that intimacy that we'll enjoy with you tomorrow and the day after, but the time when we're in your presence and know a fullness of joy. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.